0: learned anything from these past couple of years my fellow americans is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis america out loud pulse brings together the top experts in health care related fields to keep you a beat ahead
1: keeping us in the dark is one thing at which the government really excels This is Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud, Pulse, Always a Beat Ahead. COVID brought out the brewing distrust of the government. We don't know if it does what's best for the general populace or whether they're doing what's best for their biggest donors. There are attacks on our health freedom from many directions. The Biden administration wants to limit the duration people can have less costly short-term health insurance. He wants to put it down to three months. Of course, there are drawbacks to these, including high deductibles and co-pays and no coverage for pre-existing conditions. But that's an area for transparency. If that's what you want, knowing the drawbacks, then you should be able to get it. Another ridiculous push from the executive branch is continuing and worsening the Affordable Care Act's limits on physician-owned hospitals. Thanks to the ACA, with a few exceptions, new physician-owned hospitals can't be built and they're prohibited from expanding an existing facility. This is despite the evidence that these hospitals provide high-quality care at lower costs. Both commercially negotiated prices and cash prices in physician-owned hospitals are one-third lower than their competitors across eight common services. Speaking of our health, I do want to mention our food. They say you are what you eat. Well, with our increasing diabetes and obesity, there's an emphasis on eating more healthful foods. Food is not only made from gene-altered seeds, but so-called real chicken is being made in the lab. I mean, maybe it's just fine, but it only took one year for the FDA to approve it as safe. And the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, gave a final stamp of approval to two companies to sell the lab-grown chicken. The companies are gonna start by selling the product to high-end restaurants. I guess we ought to be careful where we eat. The way informed consent is considered optional by so many institutions, I wonder if and how this weird chicken will be labeled. Today, my guest and I will discuss various forms of unnecessary government intervention into our overall health and some solutions rooted in freedom. Charles Froman is a lobbyist for the National Health Federation. This federation strives to restore informed consent, healer freedom, and end special interest capture of the bureaucracies. I just want you to note, healer freedom, not provider. After graduating in 1988 with a government Bachelor of Arts from the College of William and Mary, he was at the Cato Institute and lobbied for a variety of nonprofits focusing on medical freedom. He has helped politicians, trade associations, think tanks, nonprofits innovate and raise their profile. Mr. Froman is also connecting an innovative health plan with families, entrepreneurs and associations seeking empowerment of patients and healers, advancing the National Health Federation's Freedom Agenda. Welcome to the show, Charles Froman.
2: Thank you, Marilyn. It's good to be on your show finally.
1: I know it's been a while And I've been wanting to do this and I'm just, I just feel bad that I've waited this long, but you're here now and let's get into it. First, I want to ask you, how did you get into health issues?
2: By accident, after waiting tables to make some money at the College of William and Mary and then getting roped into a door-to-door insurance job out of college, I went to D.C. because of of my government major to see what kind of jobs were up in DC and got hired by a Congressman. And that was in 1991. And soon Bill Clinton got elected and his wife wanted to take over the healthcare system. And by that point, I had risen to become a legislative assistant for that politician. And I had to learn healthcare in a hurry.
1: Wow. Uh, I take it. You didn't like the Clinton plan.
2: No, and my later colleague at the Cato Institute, Doug Bando, characterized it uh, pretty succinctly as shoving everyone into an HMO and capping it with Medicare price controls, which uh, is kind of similar to what ended up with Obamacare, a bit more complicated with the latter. Uh, But when Hillary tried to do that, we Republican L.A.s learned – about uh, health savings accounts and individualized health insurance and we learned about the aaps you know your group um and it was a fantastic experience to really learn about the free market alternatives to government takeover of healthcare and we can see why it's so tough for republicans to really discuss this issue it's complicated it's painful it's frustrating no one likes the status quo, so it's an endless, uh, difficult debate.
1: Well, what's sad, and, and in fact, Bernie Sanders is at it again now, pushing for single-payer healthcare, basically socialized medicine, that that always seems like the easy answer. Well, there's problems paying and problems with people seeing the doctor they want to see, so let's just get the government to pay for it all. And- People, I don't think they want to look at the whole picture that, well, the government pays for the post office, the government pays for a lot of things, and how well do those things work? And people are clamoring for choice. I don't want to be in long lines at the post office. I don't want to be in long lines at the DMV. But suddenly, when they say, let's have single-payer health care, suddenly it's okay for the government to pay for it.
2: Well, you know, when you think of the networks that saddle even private insurance companies, which means if you got cancer or heart disease, chances exist you wouldn't even be able to choose the doctor you wanted for those catastrophes. And that gets to my complaint about Republican communication because there are free market solutions out there, but people just don't know about them or just aren't savvy enough to explain them. For example, you mentioned short-term regulations being worsened under um, the White House occupants. Well, that's true, and that's a bad thing to to remove that option for people. But better than any insurance is medical cost sharing because there are no networks. With cash shopping, you can you get to go anywhere you want worldwide, and you combine that with a health savings account or these new money doubling accounts or with the subscription DPC and you're getting to a fantastic affordable plan that gets you what you want and these DPCs become more integrated because they get more time with the patient, there is a good solution privately to discuss, but the right politicians don't understand the issue. And therefore, we may get single-payer because the insurance cartel, which gave us Obamacare and -hmm. Medicare Advantage, Um, you know, that's what most people think is the uh, answer for the right. And it's not a good solution either.
1: Absolutely not. Well, we're going to go into kind of the bigger picture of freedom in health, freedom in getting medical care, but there's also health. And we always like to make a distinction between medical care and health care. Health care and I'll give the, our listeners that little clue. You're very into yoga. And that's part of healthcare, care, where you take care of yourself. And medical care is when you have to go to the doctor, seek out technology. And so they're kind of two different things. And I think we've conflated the two. And there's a lot of people who think they don't have to do anything to advance their own health care but it's it's a combination of the two and that's also what makes it work not only physically but financially so but i do want to talk about the national health federation it kind of gives us global picture of that sense of health freedom how did the national health federation start
2: well it started in the 1950s because Uh, patients weren't satisfied with the mainstream care for their ailments. And these maverick doctors using alternative treatments weren't having an an easy time delivering those treatments to the patients that wanted that care. And with the capture by pharma even back then and the American Medical Association of the state licensing boards and the American and the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, uh they were able to shut down some of these uh, healers, and they organized the National Health Federation at that point to really respect informed consent and the right to choose your health care. And they got involved with all kinds of issues over the decades, uh, including poultry inspection. You mentioned the franken food that we're being asked to accept on our, for our diets coming here. Uh, soon. Uh, but they helped legalize uh, naturopaths and chiropractors and defend nutritional supplements and then get involved with this uh, international codex food standardization uh, process that governs uh, the standards of our food in trade. Um, and more recently, with COVID, I've been really involved with politicians on Capitol Hill getting letters organized to send to the FDA to stop the clot shots for toddlers or to stop Biden's unvaxxed visitor ban to let in travelers such as Novak Djokovic to play no. in the U S open, which he, uh, you know, he's into the finals of the Wimbledon as we speak. Um, but um, yeah, so it's, it's a umbrella organization for all aspects of health. And it gets into what you said about healthcare versus medical care, because if you think about the favorite politicians of the health freedom movement, basically they're Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and perhaps Trump just because he, he's a bull in the China shop, but really what RFK is talking about with the real epidemic, which is chronic disease. And so many folks are not getting help with their mainstream doctors that they're having to self-diagnose and experiment and go on journeys. And that, and that the answer for your journey might be yoga, it might be supplements, it might be all kinds of alternative therapies. And that's what we need in healthcare, a vigorous entry point with primary care that isn't one size fits all. And then you have the allopathic uh, acute care there for the real catastrophes. Um, But that's one thing that National Health Federation is now trying to do is to really make it easier to insert that integrated care that more people want as a primary care, whether it's chiropractors, naturopaths, integrated doctors, functional assessment, et cetera. And to respect people's demand for informed consent around all these other environmental uh, threats to their health, whether it's the wireless mesh that's invading us around our bedrooms and kids' classrooms or the over-vaccination that might be a huge trigger of the chronic disease disease epidemic or the frankenfood you mentioned the over-vaccination of livestock, the pesticide overuse with our crops. Um, you know, what's being put in the air with Biden's weather modification uh, schemes to dim the sun that you've heard about. There's actually bills in Rhode Island and Connecticut to ban stratospheric aerosol uh, emissions. And even in the, what's in the water. You know, Kennedy mentioned atrazine uh, affecting this whole woke argument about uh, gender fluidity, and there's always been the fluoride issue in the water. But we get into all those environmental assaults on health that really are critical to discuss if you're gonna discuss the real epidemic in this country, which is chronic disease, which has exploded from 10% in 1990 to 50% in 2010. Um, What
1: what do you think is the reason that we have this chronic disease? It it boggles me. I've been in medicine a very long time, and people didn't used to be this out of shape, this overweight. And there's certainly all sorts of uh, metabolic reasons and whatnot why people are overweight, but it's so many. And what has happened to our chemistry, our lifestyle, our society, that we've got all these chronic diseases. Is it us, the the humans? Is it what's around us?
2: Oh, I think Robert F. Kennedy is pretty accurate in all his numerous podcasts and interviews these days that are pretty much the only thing that serious people are watching. We don't really want anyone else as president except for him, maybe Trump. Um, But uh, he says the EPA... Released a study that the chronic disease epidemic started at the end of the 1980s, um, and you know Kennedy says there are several um, sources to blame all environmental toxins. Um, I think w- what you're getting at definitely is part of it. The Franken food. I, I would add, you know, all the chemicals in the food, the the sugar, the, the fake sugar, high fructose corn syrup. We're not not eating real food is a big one. But definitely, you know, you're a lawyer, Marilyn. Removing liability from vaccine manufacturers was uh, insane. Uh, And we're now over-vaccinating. I think every new mother looks at the schedule of these uh, over a dozen vaccines and and goes, I really need uh, uh, more than maybe a couple of these. Uh, Let's have some informed consents and patient control over this. Um, and I think there are, in one of our projects, the NICE Act, we would require uh, comparisons between the unvaccinated and the vaccinated, and, and for the Surgeon General to report on that comparison, because the government the, the government are, refuses to do these comparison studies. They're all private, and of those private studies, uh, three of them of which I'm, I know pretty well, they all reproduce the same result, and you know, The gold standard of science isn't just peer review, which can be gamed. I think we know the journal editors uh, aren't very impressed with their studies in their journals. Um, But when you reproduce results, now you have a signal worth additional study. And all the studies, whether looking at Dr. Thomas's uh, unvaccinated patients versus the vaccinated or Greg Glazer's uh, analysis of the survey data from the government, um, or Dr. Neil Miller's uh, work, there's a thousand percent more chronic, chronic disease among the vaccinated. So we know the over vaccination is troubling because you're injecting all these additives that, that make up the vaccine uh, into your blood. Some of it is piercing the blood brain barrier like aluminum. Um, the Franken foods, you know, the eating the overly injected uh, livestock f- from, um, you know all the all the drugs that they inject into the animals the genetically modified food the fluoride and other chemicals in the water what they're releasing now in the air to modify the weather and the wireless mesh uh, it, some of the wireless mesh frequencies do pierce the blood brain barrier and it's a it's a classification of frequencies that people aren't appreciating but the national toxicology program did do a thirty million dollar study uh, finding cancer in altered DNA in rats. Um and the federal courts have slammed the FCC for not updating their safety guidelines. Uh, so I think it's a synergistic effect of all these, you know, the, the Franken food, the chemicals in the water, air, and the medicines, um, and and the wireless mesh outside of Pedro's and kids' classrooms. I think it's synergistic. It's not one thing.
1: Well, boy, you said a mouthful there, and as the show goes on, there might be a couple of those things we'll dissect a little bit more. When we come back from the break, there's something you mentioned that NHF does, and and that's uh, working with the Codex, and I'm sure a lot of people hadn't heard of it. And frankly, I hadn't until I started going to your webinars that you have once a week. And uh, we'll talk about that after the break. Right now, I'm going to talk about my old friend, Cofix RX. As people who normally listen, you know, Cofix RX is a nasal spray and it has simple ingredients, some vitamin D xylitol and iodine. The xylitol and iodine are both antiviral. And what it does, it destroys these germs right in your nose before it has a chance to go farther down your airways and make you more sick. And we certainly know that most of these infections we get, these respiratory infections, we get sick by inhaling the viruses through our nose. So if we can stop it in these first couple of days after you think you might get sick, it might eliminate the impact of you getting a lower respiratory tract infection. I think it works. It has worked for me. And I like that the ingredients are simple, nothing fancy, just things that work. This was invented during COVID, and even though the COVID scare is over, there's still all those colds, and even though it's summer, it's like everybody gets a summer cold, so keep it on your shelf. The wonderful part, it was invented by American doctors, and it's made in America, so what could be better than that? So look on our webpage, there's a little CoFix button, you can click it on. Read more about it and try it. Hopefully, you will like it.
3: How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with CoFix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID, anyhow? CoFix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. CoFix RX is already famous. For a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone-iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new CoFix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the CoFix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness.
1: For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health, naturally. okay before the break i'd like you to i was saying that i'd like you to explain what the codex is and i think it's codex alimentarius so this is something that regulates food can you tell us more details about it and what it is and how the people meet and how nhf is involved
2: Well, it became a serious issue for health freedom with the elevation of the World Trade Organization, WTO. And it's a post World War II body codex uh, formed under the uh, World Health Organization and Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO. And basically, a few times a year, uh, Scott Tipps, our lawyer uh, and president, is the lone representative of the natural health industry up against hordes of special interest uh, flunkies, trying to dumb down uh, vitamin potency, trying to weaken residue allowances in food, Uh, getting back to the livestock we discussed earlier, uh, how much uh, veterinarian medicine injections can you have in meat when it's traded, because uh, it all revolves around uh, the standards for food that is traded internationally. So it's food trade standards. And so uh, you know, the food is a pretty wide area. It includes nutritional supplements. It includes uh, crops, uh, livestock, uh, land. And that's basically it. And and then the goal from the global elites at these uh, international government bodies is to Coerce or incense the FDA's, the Food and Drug Administrations, of all the countries of the world, to do what's called harmonize with these uh, WTO enforced standards. And if they, if your, if our country accepts, it harmonizes with the latest um, 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 potency allowance for a supplement, or how much toxicity, uh, uh, how much of a substance is allowed to be in your food, then that's what you're going to be stuck with in your country. Uh, so what NHF has tried to do over the past decade, especially with Scott's negotiation, is to, is to feed these standards. Um, and then if there's ever an effort here in the U.S. Congress to harmonize with any of these food standards... We'll have to make it a congressional effort, which which hasn't had which which hasn't happened in about a decade. Uh, So it's a fairly unknown dynamic that's vigorous and happening annually several times, but doesn't reach the level of Congress here in the U.S. because there hasn't been recently an effort to harmonize with some of the recent food standards. Um, But that's what Codex
1: is. Well, I think it's important for people to know, because one of the things we've seen over the years, and it's probably, of course, been happening for years, but with social media and the internet, we ultimately find out about these things. So many things are slipped into legislation. You know this, your job is in D.C., where they sneak it in. It's something that has nothing to do with the title of the law or the proposed law, and suddenly you find out about it later. It's, it's like the um, electronic medical records was slipped into an act that didn't have anything to do with that, you know, and that's how they do in Washington. They're very sneaky. And I think we have to know these terms and know about it. So when it pops up, you can think, aha, I heard about that. And we don't want to have to do things the way the rest of the world does it. We don't want to be pushed into things by the World Trade Organization. And God knows all these other organizations, look look at what they've done, uh, not to bring up COVID again, but look at some of the COVID standards that we didn't necessarily make them up here in the States. They were trying to follow the World Health Organization. And all the countries aren't the same. and. I don't think the United States should be harmonizing with anybody unless we decide it's good for our folks. So there. Well, you
2: mentioned you mentioned the World uh, World Health Organization and speaking of slipping language into congressional bills there's good slippage right now with the Republican controlled house and the appropriations bill they would defund membership in the WHO uh, which is threatening Preemption of our pandemic public health response—I uh, said pandemic by accident there, didn't I? <laughs> um, and you know what they want are travel vaccine mandates and behavioral coercion through these um, uh, tracking methods and passports, vaccine passports. And so I think that's wonderful to defund membership in the WHO. These global bodies don't have our interests at heart. We need to run our own country and decide for ourselves what kind of health care we're going to have. Um, you know, these global bodies are controlled by, by big pharma, big biotech, big ag, and uh, obviously they want to make money. And there's nothing is as good for business for them than having a sick population. So they really don't care how chronically diseased we are.
1: Well, it makes you wonder that, you know, they're chomping at the bit. Chronic disease, that means a medicine. Look at this new diabetic medicine, the Wigovi and Ozempic that was made for diabetics. Such a wonderful thing, even though we know for a lot of type 2 diabetics, losing weight and changing lifestyle, changing foods, going on Mediterranean diet can help. But this Ozempic is the new wonder drug But, the big but, and there always is one, you have to take it forever and ever and ever and ever. As soon as you stop taking it, the weight comes back. So it's not like it's a magic cure, but it's something that will be a chronic supplementation, let's say. So uh, you, you wonder who has our best interest at heart, and the real answer has to be us well, you had mentioned um supplements when we were talking about codex now isn't the fda trying to regulate vitamins and minerals and some of the stuff that we like to take
2: oh yeah and that's a lot of lobbying that we do uh, fda is a tool of pharma and <clears throat> they persecute natural competitors the pharma they tried to put nutritional supplements out of business in the last Congress, and we defeated that effort with what's called a mandatory uh, listing requirement, uh, where FDA conveniently could refuse to accept your submission uh, for the list to take care of, especially NAC, a known COVID treatment, that will be really bad for uh, pharma business. And getting back to the chronic disease epidemic, uh, they're going after homeopathy, by limiting you know, what they can uh, treat and especially natural compounding from pharmacists. I know when I was in India, I had a natural pharmacist give me a compound, and I believe compounding is going to re- represent a big part of the future of medicine where using functional assessment of your blood, DNA, and local environmental fa- toxins, you're going to get a, a curated uh, supplement of some sort that addresses your specific deficiencies um and you know to avoid future disease predictions. Um so you know the FDA doesn't want any of this competition for pharma, so that's what the FDA is there for. Um and not to say there aren't uh trouble troublesome aspects with nutritional supplements. There's fraud there just like there is with pharma. Uh, but they have current authority, them and the F- F- Federal uh, Trade Commission, to um, put out of business bad actors who don't label correctly, who don't use good manufacturing practices. Uh, so they have plenty of power, which is something folks don't realize because <laughs> Pharma Funded Media doesn't tell you that supplements are regulated pretty uh, aggressively right now. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of what we do with the FDA. Um and it's critical for people to learn what we're doing because, like we said, uh, chronic disease is an epidemic. It's got it's got a hold of half the country. And we have to know about all the causes from the environmental toxins and all the ways the special interests use agencies to really harm superior alternative treatments that we will want um, to recover from these diseases because a lot of us aren't going to want it take a prescription for the rest of our life?
1: Well, absolutely not. And certainly the FDA pharma connection, that's good old transparency. That kind of comes out. There's a great website called opensecrets.org. And you can see who gives what money to whom. And both parties are uh, culprits and lots and lots of various pharmaceutical Companies are culprits. And you look at people who are the head of federal agencies, what do they do when they stop being the head of a federal agency? They move on to a pharmaceutical company and they're run it or on the board of directors in some capacity. So, what they call the Washington revolving door between private and uh, the bureaucracy is alive and well. And we don't want that in our health care.
2: Well, we have a campaign to restore trust in health authorities, and I'm pretty open about being cynical about it because I don't really personally care too much about restoring trust in authorities. Because to me, as a you know free market guy, going back to my work at the Cato Institute long ago, uh, I believe that is a market phenomenon around reputation. And if you behave and, do well by your consumers and ethics uh, you'll get your just desserts and you'll thrive um, but as far as public health agencies the ones in dc they just duplicate what's already occurring in the 50 states each state has a public health authority why do you, why do you need a cdc um, privately we have underwriters laboratories and private certification organizations why do we need an fda um why do we need an, an NIH? Don't universities research? Don't private foundations research? Why do we need uh, Medicare? Uh, don't we have a Medicaid in every state? So this is a pretty comprehensive proposal, but it's there to get people thinking. Why duplicate? Because if you do disperse bureaucracies to the states, that'll make them uh, more Uh, you know, responsive to local voters, because everyone everyone knows you have more influence over your state and local politicians than you you do the ones that go to D.C. Um, Now, short of devolution from these national bureaucracies, there are discrete ways to reform each one of them, and, you know, there's so many people have brilliant ideas, and we can go through some of them if you want, Mm -hmm. but... We, we certainly can't uh, ignore the need to reform them, especially what they just did uh, to the world over the past three years with this COVID hysteria.
1: Well, yeah, we'll go through some of these ideas. And uh, one of the things I want to start with, we've got a couple minutes before the break and it's near and dear to my heart as somebody who's licensed up the wazoo that, One idea is changing licensing laws, and you brought up how people want total health integration, and there's an area of medicine called functional medicine, which it kind of cracks me up that it now has a name, integrative medicine. In the old days, that's what doctors did. They looked at the whole patient. They didn't look at checklists off of an electronic medical record. They knew about the patient's home life and this sort of thing. So it's like we almost didn't need that, but I'm glad it's coming out with a new name. So it's kind of like how general practice was changed to primary care. So we change a name and maybe hope that people will recognize it more or respect it more, but we definitely need all sorts of healthcare professionals to help take care of us. So we've got different types. They're all licensed. And the question is, do they have to be? So I want to start with that after the break. And um, because I'm torn about it. I really am torn about it. So I'm definitely looking forward to that discussion. I just want to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. All of our shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours, and the episodes are on lots of the networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeart. Make it easy, bookmark americaoutloudnews forward slash pulse. One of the things I love about the show is that it's a different person every day of the week. I'm on, on Mondays, Marilyn Singleton. Tuesdays, we have Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesday, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch and Malcolm Out Loud have a big discussion. Thursdays, we have Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays, with Dr. Harvey Reich. And on Mondays, we've got Nurses Out Loud, and they're on at 10 a.m. Eastern. So we've got lots of medical information with that touch of politics and sometimes more politics than medicine. So keep on listening. We love to have you.
0: While the cancel culture destroys our history, bringing crime and terror to city streets... AmericaOutLoud.News will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity.
1: Licensing, as I know, is one of the things on your list to kind of change the whole freedom environment. Tell me what your opinion is about licensing laws and how you would change them.
2: Well, licensing is a pretty worthless dynamic. It, it allows bad—not uh, just doctors, but operators and any occupation occupation to hide behind the license and usually their licensing board are fellow cronies and or in the case of COVID uh, they get pressured I don't know what the reason is but they're going after these frontline doctors for doing their job treating early so it's it's a failed model it doesn't protect uh, consumers and it just persecutes mavericks Um, so what Byron Schlomack, formerly of the Goldwater Institute, proposed years ago, and he got this in bill form in Arizona. And more recently, it was in bill form in Oklahoma as SB896, and we were pleased that AAPS uh, endorsed that, and Jeremy Snadley got AAPS to generate some grassroots. But competitive certification, the alternative, creates a race to the top as opposed to, to this lowest common denominator dynamic, which uh, sabotages licensing from adding any value. And with competitive certification, AAPS or Innovative Functional Doctors or any kind of new brand could register their organization with the AEG who's uh, who would provide the only government role in this new uh, projects where they would prosecute fraudulent misuse of the criteria of your organization's uh, certification, and there will be no more monopoly. Uh, problem, a problem with certification organizations, they can collude with licensing orgs to come up with the orgs even worse. So if Marilyn Singleton was, like so many doctors since COVID, especially like Dr. Merrick, expanding their uh, their idea of primary care. I can see them starting a new uh, organization that was certified. And if they got corrupted, then Maryland and Dr. Merrick might say, we're staying faithful to the mission. We're starting a new organization. And we're going to register our organization with the state. And you would market your brand to consumers to look for your brand as the best doctors. And as long as you uh, complied with the, Criteria of your organization, you could escape licensing. No more licensing uh, hassles. The AEG's job, attorneys general, is just to prosecute fraud, which is what states do for every occupation anyways. And there would be no limit to the uh, ever uh, improvement of the supply curve. And the demand curve of the economics would improve because consumers would be trained to look for better and better brands. That's, this is a panacea, uh, and too few realize it, and um, that's a, I'm really ex- excited about that project and glad AEPs got some graduates going in Oklahoma for that bill.
1: Well, now, I'm assuming that each of these organizations on their own, I mean, I certainly know AAPS wouldn't want people off the street to be able to say, hey, I'm a doctor, it might not be that you take the national boards or the usual licensing tests but there has to be some way to gauge a person's competence other than letting them go out treat patients and kill the first 10 what do you do about that
2: well that would be in your brand uh, our brand whatever you want to call your organization assures competency education training outcomes there's a big deficiency in healthcare Where are the outcomes of all these treatments in hospitals? Your organization will publish them. Look for our brand. So the market can fix anything, even quality issues in healthcare. Because quality is terrible right now in healthcare. There are no outcomes, as Dr. Benz used to say all the time. You can promote that in your organization. And to get to fraud, that's the AG's job. If some shyster is advertising membership in your org and they're not following the criteria, they're not qualified, they're not educated, they're not trained, they don't have good outcomes, well, they're going to be targeted by the AG.
1: Well, that makes sense to me. And I I suppose the biggest difference here, there's still going to be criteria. It's not like anybody can just go out, hang up a shingle. I guess they could, but uh, and and we've had certainly plenty of imposter doctors, imposter lawyers and imposter lots of things. And when they do a good job, they aren't discovered. When they stop doing a good job, then that's when it's discovered they have no background and no education or training in that arena. Um, but you're long- going to market.
2: You know, they are going to be dues to your organization. You're going to market to the consumer to look for your brand. Mm -hmm. And if Joe, if Joe shyster hanging up that shingle, um, you know, if they don't have your brand the consumer's going to think twice about going to them. And if they lie about uh, following your criteria, well, then they're going to be, you know, open to AG prosecution. So it's going to be your job as the organization head to spend money uh, on marketing, to get the consumer to demand your certified doctors.
1: Okay, well, that that makes some sense to me. And I suppose I could qualify under standard criteria. And I think it would be a good thing to be able to look into a person's history. Now, what do you think, and I don't know uh, whether you've even looked at the National Practitioner Data Bank, that has all these, it has to put a settlement or a lawsuit or whatever that a doctor's been in. Does that seem like a a fair way to find out about a doctor?
2: You know, that's a different conversation. Um, You know, our health plan uses Healthcare Blue Book to help people shop on quality. Um, There are other rating organizations. So to me, that sounds like just another Way to investigate someone's background. So, on the surface, that sounds okay to me. But I know there are problems with lawsuits and the legal system. You know, so many folks settle to avoid worse penalties, and th- th- that doesn't mean they're guilty. It just means that you know they did what they could in a vicious legal system. So, I know there's problems looking at the whole legal aspect of that. And you know, good doctors end up with bad, pa- worse patients. So. Sometimes they end up uh, sued more because they get the most difficult patients, most challenging cases. There's a, there's, I'm sure there's a huge there's a huge conversation there that I'm not really an expert mm-hmm. on.
1: And which and you said something that's very true. A lot of times you hear about a doctor. This goes across the board. Giving too many pain meds, Well, maybe has a lot of pain patients, and maybe other people. Uh, sloughed off those patients to that doctor because he treated the ones who were the most difficult. Therefore, he had the most prescriptions. Some people take cardiac cases that are given up for dead and that's their thing is that they're willing to give it a try. So of course their outcomes aren't going to be as good as the guy who cherry picked all the young, healthy patients who happen to be sick. So there, there's a lot of nuance in what makes a doctor good or bad. Or, and the numbers don't necessarily tell it all, just as you mentioned. And a lot of times people don't realize that. And so it's easy to disparage somebody, but until you know the whole background, um, that disparagement might not be correct. Now, one of the things uh, I believe that NHF is behind is a proposed 28th Medical Freedom Amendment to the Constitution. Is NHF behind that?
2: Yes. um, This is interesting because founding father Benjamin Rush was reported to have said And I'm not sure it's true. He may have said something else about the danger of organized medicine in terms of lowering the standards. I found that quote. But a lot of folks think he said that it was a mistake not to enshrine in the Bill of Rights the right to medical choices. Um, But, uh, yeah, one of our our board members is the leader of that or one of the leaders of that effort, Michael Levesque. And it it would start the, the long, arduous amendment process. Uh, to guarantee uh, freedom of choice in medical care and privacy. And I, I think it's a popular effort given the COVID tyranny we, we faced, especially over the past uh, few years. Um, but uh, yeah, that's an important long-term project. Um, but, you know, even the shorter-term projects are important, like the appropriations uh, language to, to defund the WHO or the surprise bills out of energy and commerce to preempt any local ability to set back wireless antennas, of factor in the chronic disease epidemic. Uh, so, you know, I actually like to focus more on the short-term threats to healthcare, while at the same time highlighting these longer-term goals, like restoring health authority trust by correctly constitutionally placing these bureaucracies, in the 50 states where they belong in the private sector. Um, But yeah, that's a a good amendment for folks to galvanize around.
1: Well, tell us a little bit more about, um, you had briefly mentioned the, is it called the NICE Act that would uh, delve into more informed consent regarding vaccines?
2: Yeah, and this gets back to the mid-2000s when I was on my own after the Cato Institute, representing, uh, ironically, uh, the pain relief organization. So I I know a lot about uh, the demagoguery around the uh, pain medicine issue. Uh, I got to know a lot of pain doctors, and I saw some of them sentenced in federal court to outrageous terms for just doing their job, titrating to effect. I had a natural health, health client and a consumer healthcare client um, and, um, let's see, I lost it. What was the question, Marilyn? I'm sorry. I, I went on a tangent.
1: Oh, we were talking about nice. <laughs> the, okay. The proposed so act. yes,
2: I was paid by your organization to monitor a coerced vaccine event in a county outside DC. It was called the cattle call and parents were threatened with truancy uh, charges if they didn't fully. Catch their kids up with the vaccination schedule, and that was my introduction to uh, vaccines. And NBC was there. I actually made it in the the blurb on NBC about that day's events. And <clears throat> so, because of these studies I mentioned earlier showing one thousand percent more chronic disease among the uh, vaccinated compared to the vaccinated unvaccinated, excuse me. Uh, There is a desire to get a national right to decline vaccines. A NICE, a National Informed Consent Exemption for any vaccine touched federally, and all of them are, either by funding, approval, licensing. So it's not just a state issue where you get your medical or religious exemptions. It's a federal issue. If they're going to... If they're going to put a a vaccine on trial through a study, if they're going to license it or mandate it, as as they did federally with the COVID vaccine, that federal involvement has to include a nice, a right to decline. And then the other part of the bill would uh, require the Surgeon General to report on the status of these comparison studies, which don't exist. Uh, The government refuses to study disease outcomes between the two cohorts, to see if these vaccines work or if they result in more of other types of diseases, which is mostly the case. They may work on the specific disease for which you're vaccinating, but they may ruin your immunity and make you vulnerable to other diseases, and that seems to be what the studies are finding. Um, So that's what we want in this country. We want a right to, to control our medical decisions, and this bill Will be inter- introduced soon by Congresswoman Mary Miller of Illinois, and we're looking for original co sponsors. We have a second bill with Congressman Ronnie Jackson, the former White House doctor, to restore liability onto vaccine manufacturers. So we have two vaccine bills, both of which were introduced by Mr. Uh, Louis Gomert of Texas before he retired last Congress. Uh, and both those bills need original co sponsors. So if anyone wants to ask their Politicians to co-sponsor those bills. is have them contact Jackson's office for the li- for the liability bill or Miller's office for the um, national vaccine exemption and comparison comparison study requirement bill.
1: That bill is a must, an absolute must. It stuns me. That in medicine, we have comparative studies, you know, blood pressure treatment versus no blood pressure treatment. I could name an entire list of disease states and health states that are compared all the time, yet there aren't official, quote unquote, official studies of vaccinated versus non-vaccinated. And it's appalling. And there's Reasons that now that we're in our last minutes of the show, we can't even get into, but that can be a whole nother show. And you have given us so much information today, and I have to have you back because you have a whole nother hat that you wear, which is how to ensure or not ensure, as the case may be, not using standard health insurance and mechanisms of paying for one's medical care and that's a whole show unto itself so i hope you'll come back and talk about that next time
2: marilyn when would i I, when would i ever say no to an (laughs) invitation for your show i would love (laughs) to come back
1: oh well we'll have to organize (laughs) that Thank you so much, and you are such a busy guy, so I feel pretty blessed that you took the time to come on the show, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Marilyn. And thank all of you out there for listening. My goodness, we love the show here at America Out Loud Pulse, and I'm glad that you are listening. Now, we've got a couple features. Now, one, the emails, and you can catch those right at the top where the podcast is advertised. And if you have questions, just email them in. First names are fine, and we'll get the answer to you. And then we have another super new feature called AmericaOutloud.shop. Now, what that is, is it has all the products of many of our hosts and the wellness company and a huge bookstore. And the thing about it is, there are books by people who've been guests on the show. And if you put the code out loud in, you get a discount. What could be better than that? So I just want to thank everyone for listening. And remember, whether you agree or have other opinions, Please share the show. And until next week, say it loud. I'm free and I'm proud.